I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. One of the uh, delightful books of the season uh, is the latest from Rick Attenson. The travel writer and historian has written other books about his travels, uh, but uh, there's nothing quite as special and captivating as his book about a train journey with his grandson, Riley. The book is called Train Beyond the Mountains, Journeys on the Rocky Mountaineer. In it, Rick recounts a journey from Banff along the route traveled by the Rocky Mountaineer to the West Coast here in Vancouver and uh, up through uh, Jasper, Alberta, back to Banff. We get a sense of the geography of this part of Canada and the topography of these mountains, the trestles and tunnels through Alberta and British Columbia that also symbolize a lot of history of this country and generations of people along the way. The, the book also illustrates the relationship between a grandfather and his grandson as they navigate not just this journey, but a passing moment in a growing child's life. Rick and Riley join me now, and I'll ask them what uh, the trip was like, what they both got out of it, and whether a journey like this is recommended for a 10-year-old child. Both Rick and Riley are older now, as it's uh, been uh, about uh, four years since they took this trip, so it'll be uh, good to reflect on uh, how each viewed the experience then as now. Uh, Rick Attenson is uh, the former president and CEO of uh, Tourism Vancouver, now Destination Vancouver. He served as chair of the uh, board for uh, Destinations International and vice chair of the Pacific Asia Travel Association. He was vice president of Rocky Mountaineer during its uh, startup years. And I'll ask him what it was like uh, then as this brand was starting out and about the vision of its founder, Peter Armstrong. The website for more is at rickattenson.com. This uh, new book is published by Greystone. Uh, please uh, welcome back to the Plant Online program, Rick Anson. Mr. Anson, good morning. Good morning. Really nice to see you again. It's been a while and since we've chatted in it, person. It has, yeah. And please welcome uh, to the program Riley Anson. Hi, thank Mr. you for having me. Mr. Anson, good morning to you. Thanks for, for coming in to do this. Um, Rick, uh, uh, you emailed me a couple weeks ago uh, when we were uh, planning the date and time of this. And you mentioned that you were on your way somewhere. We were heading off to Norway. And actually, I was with... Riley again and his dad and we spent uh, two weeks in Europe a little over two weeks almost three weeks by the time Riley got back to school and it was fantastic so we got to ride trains again which we hadn't done since when Riley since this book so four time. four years ago it was really awesome. five actually yeah, which is crazy. yeah. what um, the, the train system there is a lot different than it is yes, here very isn't different. it more, way more efficient and convenient than here but so. the, do they serve meals as well? Uh, I believe you can purchase some. I don't know if they serve them. Depending, yeah. It really depends on which train you take. But for our case, it was you had to buy them at a train cart. So, but, Rick, you travel a lot. And, and you have traveled a lot throughout your life and your career. What, what were the last three years of the pandemic like? I kept thinking about you and wondering you know, where you were. Were you at home most of the time? Well, Janice and I now live in, in Predator Ridge in the Okanagan. And so we were fortunate that you could still go down and walk, actually, the old rail trails that are now paths alongside the lake. So we were quite fortunate in that way about where we lived. But you couldn't get on an airplane. You couldn't travel very far. You didn't want to go on long, long car journeys. So it was restrictive. But I think one of the things for travelers and for any listener that, that, that had wanted to travel during that time, we all have learned never to take the opportunity to travel for granted. Yeah. COVID taught us that if you want to travel, make your travel plans happen as soon as you can. Don't leave them for interruption. Yeah. Do you, do you uh, uh, Riley, live in the Lower Mainland? Yes, I live in Port Moody. I see. And so did you get a chance during the last three years you, to get up and see Rick? Um, yes, I would go up during the summers for about a week. And so that's been like our kind of tradition, I would say, for the last like 
three and a half years since he moved up there. Yeah. So I'll go see him. And, and so what uh, what was it like the last three years for you? I mean, uh, school was probably a lot different than it was before and, and probably now. Yeah, so school for the first three months of COVID, which hit in, so our school year was uh, from March to um, June, which uh-huh. was when COVID was there, yeah. so those three months. And so that was completely online. And that was my grade six year. And then, so that was a year after the book. And then after that, then there was grade seven, which was like, peak COVID, but they yeah. brought us back to school, but it was very restrictive and you couldn't like, it, it was very, very restricted and it was just, it wasn't good. It wasn't you could like hang out learn. with your friends in the yeah, sort you couldn't, of, you couldn't yeah. hang out. You couldn't do anything. Um, and, and, uh, getting around in, in Metro Vancouver, um, what is it like for you? I mean, did, did you get to ride the sky train in the sword and um, even as a kid, I guess you yeah, enjoyed yeah, that. Did, did you? I did a lot of the sky train, like when I was a kid and I take the bus every day to school and yeah. back. So um, I, I use public transit like very often, and it's you know luckily very efficient, and you know it's a good it's a good system. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's I've had experience with like SkyTrain and stuff. I've been yeah. obviously for like when I was younger, we used to live in Vancouver, uh-huh. and so we used them a lot more. Whereas you know now like in 2016 they uh, extended the SkyTrain to Port Moody and stuff, right. mm-hmm. which has been very good. And yeah, I've been out there. It's quite nice yeah, there. The, that that line. Beautiful stations and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're still they're still new, you know. Yeah, it is still new, very new. <laughs> Rick, your your travel memoirs—they're not just guides; they're not just summaries of a trip. And I'm, I'm talking about all of your your previous books as well. Uh, there's some sort of reflection in them, whether it's about you as a person or a dad, or and in this case now a grandfather. I, I would think this is probably your most personal book, is it? It is definitely my most personal book, and of my five travel books, it's become. Now, my, my, my personal favorite, which is really neat. When you talk about they're not guidebooks, you're absolutely right. I did interviews last week with, with uh, Rick Steves, mm. and he called my writing uh, guidebooks in disguise because they're about a journey, and that's the main narrative thread. But there's also biography and personalities and individuals that come to the front and the history and all of that that gets layered in as as related, say woven in as related narrative threads. But this book and how it unfolded and traveling with Riley was, I mean, it was a fantastic experience, as Riley said, four years ago. The book is out. This is now just being launched. So it's exciting to get people's feedback and hear from from folks like yourselves who have just read the book so so riley you have a brother who's 10 now is that yes, right i do yes so if you went on a on a, a on the same journey with him it'd be a lot different wouldn't it yes and in fact it would be fun to travel with mm-hmm. declan because he's of that age as riley was at a different type of curiosity and then all of a sudden at 14 there's a, a different maturity in conversations and in what you do and in what they eat. They're both adventurous and mm-hmm. eaters with seafood and so forth. But, but you you notice the experience of sitting on Rocky Mountaineer, having a wonderful dinner or lunch or breakfast, as quite different with a fourteen-year-old than say with a ten-year-old for sure. How long into this 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 journey itself did you, did you know you have you had a book there? So I. I always wonder, I've come back from Timbuktu or come back from Route 66 or come back from Papua New Guinea, and when you begin writing, it it can be many, many months before you realize there's actually something strong enough to sustain a book-length feature. And I think, you know, 
lots of listeners, yourself, myself, Riley, we've all had journeys that when you get home, you got some good stories and they might be long enough for a posting or maybe even a magazine article, but it's rare to have a journey that would sustain a book length treatment. So while I thought about a book on this journey, I was back probably six months before I realized that the incidents and the anecdotes and the Riley character were going to make for a meaningful and purposeful book-length treatment. What are the conversations that you have with Riley in terms of what is going to be depicted in the book? I mean, there's some things that probably when you're 10, you, you don't want to hear about when you're 14. <laughs> or, or in my case, now that I'm 41, I don't think I'd want to hear about some of the, the antics I got up to at 10. Do you, do you talk to Riley about what you want to write about? So as I was writing, I would read different bits with Riley. And when he was up uh, last summer and the summer before, mm-hmm. we'd go through different things. And I think it's, I'm looking at Riley right now thinking that, was he comfortable? Because one of the things I said is, Riley, you need to read this. There can't be pieces that are my interpretation of a situation if you're uncomfortable with it. I don't mind embarrassing him a little bit. There's a great (laughs) dance scene he does. He's a very sarcastic individual at times, and he gets off a lot of good put-downs for Grandpa. A lot of good one-liners. Yeah, yeah. a lot of good one-liners. And they're almost verbatim. He said them, but Riley, isn't it fair to say that I asked you to make sure that when you read it, you saw yourself properly, is that? Yeah, yeah, it is. And you did it perfectly. Like, there wasn't, like, anything I had to ask you to change, and... Like, even if there was something, like, I'd pretty much be fine with it, I would think. Because, like, me being 10 is a completely different person to who I am now. And I don't see that as, like, an embarrassment if there were to be something in there. It's kind of fun to see yourself at 10, too, I think. Yeah, Yeah. it it was. Yeah, and there are beautiful moments uh, as the two of you travel, Mm -hmm. conversations that you probably would not have had were you not on on the vacation. Like, talking about Grandma Wendy, for example, that's probably not something that you talked about before, right? Not Certainly not in that way where we talk. And I just heard from a, a, a reader last evening. I read this to Riley, cause, uh, and he's a, a fellow writer, and he said how much he enjoyed the book. And he said, when I got to the piece about Grandma Wendy yeah. and the, the ice fields, which were disappearing, and, and Riley's Grandma Wendy had passed away, he said, I tried to read that piece to my wife, and he said, I had tears in my eyes. I couldn't, and I yeah. gave it to her to read and i think you're right that you know train travel brings out all sorts of uh, conversations with people fellow travelers or or a a relative like like riley and me that you wouldn't otherwise have there's lots of hidden truths about train travel and one of the hidden truths of train travel is that people disclose their background they talk about more personal or intimate situations oh, sure. to total strangers yeah. and even people who are related will have conversations otherwise they may not have do you think riley that that's yeah yeah 100 percent. i could definitely see that when like reading the book and even being there just noticing like just the environment and how people talk differently on trains compared to off so, yeah i guess both both of you yeah. see a different side of one another don't you yeah it, it yeah. was definitely interesting when i was reading the book and his like perception i guess of like what i was doing and who i was as a person yeah like, he, like the way he wrote me as like a 10 year old and stuff like, i definitely thought it was interesting compared to my memories of the travel so yeah you what, know what pardon me so I, I was just gonna say when we just finished our recent 
two weeks together. Mm-hmm. We're leaving to fly back from Amsterdam, and we're with Janice, my wife, who uh, who um, had met us in London and traveled some with us. And, and I said to Riley, I said, gee, you know, we've just had... Uh, Two weeks together, I said, when we get home, do you think uh, we'll feel separation anxiety? <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, you might. <laughs> yeah. Riley, I would assume, and, and it's probably uh, true, that you were the youngest person on this trip, right? I think, yeah, like like out of the entire train. I yeah. think also there's only one other... There's only one other family who had kids there, the family from California. Correct. And they were the only other people who had kids on the yeah. train. Everybody else was, like, you know, definitely way older. And, like, not like, you know, like, there wasn't many people in their, like, young kind of 20s and stuff. It was definitely on that train specifically. It was more, like, older people. Your parents' so, age or your grandparents' yeah, yeah, age, like, right? Yeah, yeah, older than that. So it was... What is it like as a young person to, to be amongst people like that? As a kid, I enjoyed that because I, I enjoyed older people than I did, yeah. you say, people my own age. Um, but, um, did you have, uh, I mean, conversations were easy, weren't they? I mean, yeah. the one thing I hate about older people when they talk to younger people is how they condescend to younger people. Did you get a lot of that? Did you, did you yeah, experience yeah. that? I guess I definitely had like, cause I was on like, uh, my tablet, I would say like a decent amount of time <laughs> sure. on there and people were definitely kind of judgy about that, yeah. which was noticeable. And people would ask, you know, like, why are you on there? You have this great kind of like all this like great scenery and stuff you can look at. And I didn't really understand it, like, that part of it at that time. But I, I was 10, so that's, like, rightfully so, I guess. Yeah. But I definitely, like, w- would have wished to appreciate it more back then. But now I definitely do, 100%. Yeah, there was a, there was a one incident with a woman who, um, I can't remember what she says to you, but yeah, there, there, there were, uh, uh-huh. you know, think about the, the children or the, the young people or, or the women that were outside. And, and so you put your tablet down yeah. because you realize that she's... she's Talk about you, but you, but you you get her back good too, don't you? I, I, I remember that part. Yeah, I do. I forget what I said, but yeah. And there was she wasn't the only one that did that. There was definitely a few people who questioned yeah. why I was on there. But yeah, I thought I thought it was he said he he said to her, um, uh, "No, my grandpa brought that up this morning," which I thought was <laughs> yeah. made both made you look good too. <laughs> well, and and you, one of the things that I write about in in Train Beyond the Mountains is what a, I think it was an Australian, one of the fellow passengers, noticing me and Riley traveling together, and he called it legacy travel. Mm. I think in the tourism industry, people talk about intergenerational travel. Sure. But I would say legacy travel, the grandparent, grandchild getting together, as one woman said when we were out on the, the deck, the observation deck, and Riley had his face in the wind, and it was a magical moment, and she said... Rick, this trip means the world to you today, and in 15 or 20 years, it will mean the world to Riley, right? Yeah. So as you get older and you look back, you remember and treasure uh, those earlier things. So I think legacy travel, we had many people say to us they wish they would do the Rocky Mountaineer with their grandchildren. And I actually think a really good future market for Rocky Mountaineer because it's such comfortable travel. You're in great seats. The views are stupendous and you're just railroading through history. I think it's, um, I I think a good market for them is grandparents and grandchildren Mm -hmm. getting to work with, right? Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think this book definitely proves that. Like it it was a great experience and just such a cool opportunity. Like, I remember when he first came up and asked, like, because you asked my parents first, then you asked me, and it, it was definitely like 
wow, you know, this is this is cool. And then like seeing the book, you know, like get get, get produced and stuff. And like when you're making it over the last, you know, like four years and stuff, it was really really cool. Like because I would during COVID, I would zoom with him yeah. like, twice a week, and he would just he'd show me a bunch of stuff, and it was it was just cool being along with him for this amazing journey. So, so your dad didn't make you go, right? No, uh, no, <laughs> this guy made you. Another, I said yes, but you know it was more of like you know you're coming along. Another great yeah. moment in the, in the, where you really stick it to him when 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 he probably deserved it, right? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and one of the things when we talk about about the relationship and that because he does several times stick it to me with yeah. great one-liners, and it, it's like adult level level sarcasm but delivered by a ten-year-old. It so it's got the extra whip to it, but but one of the things was that as much as, as Riley kind of began with a bit tablet time and that, he became captivated captivated by the observation deck at the back of the two-level dome coach on Rocky Mountaineer. And he would, in the morning, if we were at second seating for breakfast or in the afternoon before lunch or whatever, he would say, I'm going down to the observation deck, which meant... I would be going down to the observation deck. And it's a nice deck. I don't know, what is it, 10 feet by 10 feet yeah. or something. And he would just nudge his way past people and get into the corner. Sometimes just the two of us were there. And for hours, right, yeah, you just yeah, look at what was breezing by you in the wind. I would go back on that train just to be there again. Like, that is yeah. the best part about it. It's just being out there with the wind as the train, like, is moving along. Yeah. And just seeing all these places go by, it's just, it's so cool. Your phone, your phone must be full of great photos. Yes. Uh, yeah, actually, I... It's so my old phone, old, old, old one, and I gotta go on it. I gotta plug it in and get all those photos. Yeah. Probably I got like five hundred of them. I gotta wow. say, yeah. yeah. Um, what is it like? Cause these train cars are heavy. They're tons and tons of, in weight. What is it like to go up a mountain? Because I, I, I've taken the Amtrak, as I said, in in, in uh, to, to here in Seattle, from here to Seattle to Portland, a, a, a little bit in California to Los Angeles, and then from New York City to upstate. There are not very many hills or mountains to go up. Um, does it slow down a bit? It does. So an ideal grade for a train is about a two degree. Uh, and and they're actually where the spiral tunnels are now, before that was built, and uh, to get through when you come through the Rockies and then down the Yoho and so forth, uh, it was a 5% grade. And that was very, very dangerous going down. And going up, they had to have double or triple engines to yeah. pull the load up. But if it's at a level, that's great. The moment it starts to rise, the the weight, the drag, particularly, you know, Rocky Mountaineer in the early years when I was, was first there as vice president in the 1990s, early 1990s for three years, a long train might be, you know, eight or ten coaches. Yeah. They now all have 20 or more coaches. Wow. The new dome coaches, which they've brought in in more recent years, are stunning. And as one of the Australians called it, it's he said it's the glass train because yeah. the, the ceiling, everywhere you look. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah. yeah, And you're looking out. Yeah. So, But they're heavy coaches, aren't they? They, they, they are. 72 people in a coach, I guess, and half eat at a time downstairs, which is like going to one of the best view-dining restaurants yeah. in the yeah. world, right? <laughs> yeah. What was the food like, Riley? I mean, as, as a 10-year-old, I, I was pretty picky as, a, as an eater. Yeah, um, would, would a picky eater be satisfied by whatever they serve there? <laughs> I was definitely very picky back then. Yeah. But 
Um, it was very fancy food as well, and I did eat it. I, I thought it was really good. Yeah. Obviously, there were some parts, mainly like vegetables and stuff, that I wouldn't eat. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, the food was really—it was really good there. So even for a ten-year-old, and so I think you know if I—and I was picky back then, very picky. So if I can eat it, I think the majority of people can't eat it. So what were in these smoothies that you kept drinking? Oh, okay. I think I think it was like a berry smoothie. Okay, yeah. if I remember correctly. It's been a while, but I think they had like a bunch of berries in there, you know, and I, it was really, really, really good. They're probably um, I don't know, this big, yeah. how big that is. But yeah, yeah, like a glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, like small, a little smaller glass, and I would just go through them over and over again, you know, <laughs> like it would be, they'd be back every three minutes with like a new one. <laughs> like, well, What is it, and, and your your uh, room uh, conditions, where you slept at night, is it is it a room or is it? So you don't sleep on the train, you stop, and part of the, the, the brand or the rationale behind the Rocky Mountaineer is that people used to travel through the Rocky Mountains at night. Yeah, and so you can't see anything. the world's best scenery, and we can't enjoy it. So this is all daylight travel. And so coming down from Banff, you stop in Kamloops. Uh, We had a really nice hotel room at the the, the Delta there. And then next morning, you're back to the train and into Vancouver. Same thing going up overnighting in Whistler, overnighting in Quinnell, then overnighting in, in Jasper. But... Part of it is that you take your day pack, your big suitcase leaves like Banff on a truck. I see. And when you get to your hotel room in Kamloops, your bag is already in your room. Yeah. So that's yeah. so easy. And one night we were a little delayed by some freight trains. We were a little late getting into Quinnell. We got on the buses at the train station to go to the, the hotels and motels. And staff were there with the keys to our rooms. Just everything was as simple and yeah. easy yeah very optimized and they definitely like made it for like the best you know like passenger experience like it was all about like making it like yeah. as easy for the passenger as possible and it, it was definitely like it's just one of those things where they do it so well and it was very somebody sat there and just thought through like how how do we make it you know as the best experience for you know these travelers and it was it was good very very thought out and what's it like though in the morning when when you have to get up and go it, 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 was, it was early mornings, okay? So he would <laughs> must be rough, yeah. Yeah, he, he would wake me up, and we had to get out. Like, there's some like really, really early ones where we had to like you know get out because like it's all like trains are all very like time. Yeah, like, it's all about the time and stuff. So if they would leave us and stuff, so we had to get out, check out and stuff, and yeah, they, they had a bus ready. They buses over, and then we were you know soon enough like on the train and going. Yeah, you you, you talked earlier, Rick, about legacy travel, and um, you, you mentioned in the book. Uh, about uh, journeys you took with your grandparents, your grandmother yes. especially. Yes. Uh, that was the first time you were on the train, right? was, and I was at uh, maybe five, and I was with my older brother, Brian, whom you know. Yeah. And he's a year older than me, but he was always much more mature than me, and I think I was showing at five an early tendency, uh, much perhaps like, Riley's brother Declan to kind of wander. I was I, I was like that to curio. Oh, there's a squirrel. I'll go follow it. And we were in in Jasper and with my grandmother and my mother and my brother. And my grandmother noticed the train looked like it was about to move, and we almost almost didn't make it back onto the train. So we're hightailing it to get back. We get into different coaches, and it, it was like. It just sits with me, and I write about this in in the book yeah. because I wonder was that my early tendency to travel and to not be doing the ordinary, and I wondered 
you know, will this train trip have an influence like that on Riley? Because Riley and I now have traveled on trains together in eight or nine different countries. Wow. And and I mean, you, you could see yourself doing this with 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 your kids, your grandkids, right? Hundred percent, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you mentioned Brian. Uh, there's a there's a moment there where you guys were late, and he he said he didn't think he'd see you again, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure, as we got into our teens, would have been a good thing, at, yeah, on occasion. But you're you're right, and and uh, you know that's one of the things about writing in the first person in a travel memoir, whether it's about when I was with a joint an expedition to the summit of Mount Ararat in full moon over, mm-hmm. over Noah's Ark, or when I was with um, my buddy Peter on, on uh, the route 66 still kicks book. What, mm-hmm. what became that, that book is when you're writing about yourself, no one wants to hear that you had a, you know, just the best meal ever, or you had the most comfortable <laughs> yeah. pillow. They want, they want the incidents where the reader feels equally to or more smart than the writer. And fortunately, uh, because of how I've ended up with, with travels, that's really easy for the reader to feel. They've got a one uh, reviewer described traveling, reading my book as though they were traveling in my backpack. They felt they were along. Yeah. And that, that I like very much. But it also means that you have to be absolutely true about your own flaws and i have many as a traveler i am prone to getting lost i'm prone to missing schedules i'm prone to actually missing trains all of that has has happened Uh, riley was more attentive and i think uh, we could have missed things just left to me and he was great to travel with in that way what i enjoy about his books riley is that uh, you you get not just the 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 travel part you also get a lot of the history as as an adult i appreciate that Uh, i don't know at 10 if i would have um, is he like that on trips? Is it when you see something or, or he's got a story about this place <laughs> yes, or a he, person at that place? Eh? He, he's very much like that. Everything with him is always a lesson, i got to say. You know, like he, <laughs> even you know, recently in Europe, yep, everything was a lesson. So he, I do appreciate the history that he does teach me. Yeah. And I think it was really neat when reading the book. There's many stuff that I didn't know. Yeah. And I thought, like, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that I learned while reading this book that I wouldn't have learned you know, in school. Exactly. And... It was very in, like interesting, and I, I think you do it really well. Like how you write it, like Thank where it's you. like a story, and there's like the history with it, and it's like balanced perfectly. And I thought I thought it was just like it was really easy to read through. So. That's a great review, Rick. You should put that on the back. Of the I cover, know that you know? would be be um, be really nice. And, and Riley also, because we've had occasion now to to travel on other situations and, and a number of different trains. He's he's really good at politely saying. It's okay if you stop talking. Now, <laughs> I think Declan is getting good at that too. He's been with us for about a week now. So yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. What um, what I also I guess I I knew this, but I didn't realize this is is that if there was no rail to the west coast through those mountains, there would be no Canada today as we know it, right? Absolutely correct. the The American states of Oregon and Washington were were being formed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know when, when Canada became a country in in 1867, that year the United States bought Alaska from Russia. So what was the colony of Victoria, colony of British of, of Columbia? Yeah. All of that area was bookended top and bottom 
by American United States visions of all North America should be part of the United States. Yeah. So there were a lot of pressures. And then, of course, the gold rushes on the Fraser River right. sent a bunch of Americans from California coming up. So the populations were, the demographics were changing. And, and a lot of people were symp- more sympathetic to the United States as it was being formed than they were to connections with Britain. So from Victoria, a delegation made its way to Ottawa to say to the four provinces that have formed this mm-hmm. you know, Confederation of, of Canada, we will join you if you link us. Now, when they left, they couldn't go across Canada by dog sled or whatever. They had to go by boat down to San Francisco, then across partway on American trains, and then partway by stagecoach. They had to make their way to, uh, to Ottawa through the United States. What they wanted, they had prepared to ask Ottawa for a wagon road connecting Victoria to Ottawa. Instead, they got a railway. And I write about this in a section called, What If You Asked for a Wagon Road and Got Given a Railway? And so our country, Canada, is literally tied together by iron railway tracks. tracks, yeah. Um, The the other thing that that, um, astonishes me as I'm reading this is, is, uh, because we know Rocky Mountaineer is a brand, um, but there were some very lean years, especially at the beginning there that, that you were at. And, and um, Peter Armstrong was not necessarily an easy person to work with, was he? I mean, he says that at one point. You say that in the book, and he even says uh, at one point uh, he wonders why he didn't quit sooner. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, you know, there was an entrepreneur risking everything, having bought something from the federal government that he thought had certain guidelines and information and passenger numbers and forecasts and so forth that turned out to be flawed. So that became a legal case that I count in the book. But it also was very challenging because the first few years, 1990, 1991, 1992, those seasons, summer seasons, were almost on the verge of bankruptcy. And one of the stories recounted is Peter said when he bought the train, train set, he knew that no one had made money taking passengers through the Rocky Mountains in Canada in the last 40 years. And the day I was leaving, we had lunch, and he said, thank you very much for your help extending that record to 43 (laughs) years. And then the year after I left, they started to make money and so he's often said why didn't you just leave a year earlier yeah. I mean, the coincidence of you know <laughs> making money but he's a, a an amazing visionary i end up referencing him as a cathedral thinker because of his ability to look multi-generational and there's no there's no masking the fact that it was a terrible terribly challenging time early on i actually uh, describe the first seven years, not in a lot of detail, but they sort of get a little bit of a, yeah, you get a paragraph, and I go, yeah. yeah. And and then I, I say that it, when they started their uh, seventh season, they were finally ready for the reputation of being an overnight success. Is he still involved day-to-day? or Not much day-to-day. Yeah. He's he's backed off. Uh, his uh, family, his, his son and, and two daughters, are more involved in, in board activities. Uh, they've got a great CEO and a really strong management team. So Peter is 
is uh, removed from that responsibility, but he is never one to be aloof about anything to do with business or the future. So uh, very much with a finger on the the, the pulse on a daily basis, but operationally, uh, no. He's uh, turned his mind to to uh, some other things and some other travels and, and um, you know, life at a certain age, which yeah. is terrific. Uh, and, and a lot of the people that you meet on the train, uh, it's seasonal work, but, I mean, a lot of them come back year after year, don't they? Well, it's great, great employment in the season has been, like, um, you know, April 16th mm-hmm. starts the, the 2023 season and it'll go into October. I mean, that's a really nice expansion. Yeah really good jobs and I know having been in the tourism industry if you see someone's resume and they have worked for the Rocky Mountaineer that's a beautiful respectful notch it says they have have hard working ethics and that they're smart and that they're dedicated all of those things are are inferred by that you know the other thing is it's it's now I mean they had a difficult time it was forced to suspend a because season of the pandemic, because of yeah. uh, the pandemic and you know getting back and and operationally strong again mm-hmm. and and getting the employee base built up but there are are uh, many people who will build an entire career out of seasonal employment with uh, Rocky Mountain or maybe do educational stuff or other jobs other yeah. parts of the year for sure um, what did you bring with you, Riley, so that you didn't get bored? You, you mentioned a tablet yeah, a moment ago. You had a phone, obviously. I think, yeah, I had an iPad, yeah. and then I had a iPhone 5, I want to say, and yeah. then some headphones. That, that's it, I think, like, as far as boredom goes. I didn't have any books or anything like that, and had a couple movies downloaded, yeah. some music, I think, but that's it. Yeah. Nothing much. You, you obviously have very happy memories uh, of this trip, Riley. Is there anything that you do differently, say? Like, it, I don't really know. Like, back then, okay, like, it, in terms of, like, that question, like, there, there's not much, like, I remember from, like, what I did yeah. and what I didn't do. I just remember some, you know, memorable, like, moments that we had. But that, that was a while back, so I don't remember much. And I don't know, like, if there was situations where I would do stuff differently, like, now compared to then. I would assume so because yeah. of my age difference, but I honestly don't know. Would you take more? I guess now with our phones, we can take a better yeah, video yeah, exactly. too, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would have, yeah, because the camera back then on the iPhone yeah. 5, it's an older phone, so it wasn't that good. But, you know, with the current technology with cameras that you can just have in your pocket with, like, phones and stuff, like, there's definitely very, very, very beautiful photos that you can capture. You could go live with your family and friends, right? Yeah, you could, yeah, on FaceTime, yeah. I guess, if yeah. you had cell service. Yeah. What um, What do you like, Rick, in terms of... of uh, Writing, uh, taking notes. I, I know that sometimes it may not be a book, but uh, on your travels, I'm sure you're taking notes all the time. You got a notepad in front of us. Well, and I'm I'm getting better at that. When yeah. I did my first travel memoir, it was it was uh, to Timbuktu for a haircut yeah. is the the publisher title of the book, and I wasn't. I'm not, I'm not a journal keeper. I'm not a diarist, and I made notes, but I must have had three different sizes of notebooks from the small to sort of a scribbler size and I would just grab one in my pack and I would feel like writing so I would jot something down or I'd hear a curious piece about history I wanted to research when I returned home or I I would get a great quote or I'd hear an anecdote I didn't want to forget so I but I wouldn't write sequential so I didn't number pages I might in the morning grab a little notebook and write down something a fellow traveler had said and then it might be at lunch I grabbed a scribbler for, on the same day yeah. and wrote a longer piece. 
So when I got home and I started to write and realized, boy, there's a lot of history here. And here was a place that, you know, used to be more important to Africa than London or or France have ever yeah. been to Europe. And and it's 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 trading of gold from the south to salt from the north. As I began to research that and realize I'd had an extraordinary journey and began to write about it, I was hampered by not having made good notes, not having numbered pages, not having dated things, and not had an itinerary planned in advance. So it just as it happened, I had to go back and piece it together. All of that was wonderful, and the month eventually ended up as, as the basis of a story. But I have improved, and I do now uh, make more notes about things I want to research. I now number pages, and I now date things, and I now use all the same size yeah. notebooks when I'm on a journey. But I do that... Like when I was on Route 66 um, with, with my travel buddy, um, I, would, I can remember often at breakfast you've got a local newspaper on your cafe or diner yeah. table, and I would just write notes on it. And I can tell you that Peter, who I traveled with, um, it was eight months after Route 66 was over, our journey, we were home. It was eight months later before he had any clue I was writing about it. He just saw me as somebody who would make random notes on any piece <laughs> yeah. of paper that was handy. He had no notion there could be a book in it. I didn't until eight months after I was back and I'd fiddled. Yeah. Are you working on another book now? I've been trying my hand at fiction. Uh-huh. So I have two works of fiction, one which is could be called a, a cozy mystery and more lighthearted, based around uh, cabin experiences in the wilderness and a, a great, I think, twist of events. And another is a thriller, international-focused that I've uh, worked on for a long time. But they're both ready now. I'm, I'm approaching uh, agents and publishers. On the travel front, I am now writing some shorter pieces. Uh-huh. And I write sort of in maybe 5,000, 6,000 length pieces. I've written a dozen or more of them. Uh, Skyhorse, my publisher of my first four books in New York, said that they didn't think it was the right time, the right market, the post-COVID right mm-hmm. away. Uh, travel book markets have changed, but but that's what I want to write, so that's what yeah. I'm, I'm going to be writing. What, what are some of the best movies or your favorite movies, say, uh, having to do with trains? I mean, you, you mentioned Murder on the Orient Express uh, in the book, and I, I haven't even seen uh, either version yet. Um, it's something that I should see. Should. Treat yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. If you like the notion of a train, I mean, it, and it's, you know, if, if, if you looked at the most famous trains in the world, the most famous is, is the Orient Express, a Rovis Rail, which I write about in Africa's famous. Yeah. The Rocky Mountaineer now is, is in the top five most famous train journeys yeah. in the world. In terms of movies, and I'm going to get some sarcasm from my left here from Riley, because I once tried to get him to watch Silver Streak, mm. and and uh, he uh, and we were watching it with Janice, and, and they both lobbied to just turn it off. <laughs> I, I love that movie. I would say personally, and, and you know, now that we're talking about this, I might, because I'm, I'm spending a couple of weeks with Riley and Declan, I might start lobbying to watch with them. Trains and planes, and oh, automobiles. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Steve Martin and yes, John Candy. John Candy. Yeah, and I think it is a fascinating movie. It makes you want to go uh, on a trip. It also makes you realize the humanity of fellow 
travelers. And I would say on Rocky Mountaineer, you know, Riley and I, our, our coach alone was like like a, a train coach full of the United Nations. Mm. I mean, there were people there, right, from Korea and yep. France and where else? I mean, yeah, all over the place. Yeah, America, Germany, and just uh, Canada. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was, it was, and, and so you, you just, every time you go down to have a meal, whether it's breakfast or lunch or a coffee, you're sitting with people from some other part of the world. And yeah. as a traveler, I've come to the conclusion that when I travel, my obligation to myself is to meet as many people who are different than me as I can. And, and you've done that through your previous books. You get along with people, even if you don't speak the lingo. You manage to, to, to make a connection, don't you? you Riley, Riley would uh, josh at me for talking to everybody. <laughs> Literally, absolutely everybody. Even yesterday when walking the dog, you know, there's some people like, fixing some stuff of the sewer and stuff, and he stops and starts talking to him. I'm like, come on, we're, we're like a minute into our walk, not even. So you're, you're always dragging yeah, him around, yeah, aren't you? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, Rick, what did you learn about yourself? I mean, I, I, I would this being you know a, a very personal book, you must have learned something about you that you didn't know before. I, I write at different parts in here about various aspects of what I would call the, the hidden truths of train travel. And, you know, one of them is that it's kind of like um, a long walk without the footwork. But another aspect of another hidden truth about train travel is that it, it forces you to be pensive. It forces you to ponder things just by the amount of time and, and that you don't have to do anything. And it's not like a, a, a plane trip where all you see is the back of the head in front yeah, of you. Yeah. And maybe somebody to the left or the right. You are constantly engaged with people from all over the world. But you have a lot of relaxation time. And while I will poke at Riley for some of his tablet time before he discovered the the um, observation deck and wanted to go there instead of on his tablet, he would josh at me for reading a book or reading a newspaper. <laughs> so it's the same type of different thing, right? Yep. Yeah. And and yet you have this time to think, and you think about outside. And so I would learn about myself often through things that Riley would say when we were on the observation deck. I remember, and I, I referenced this in, in Train Beyond the Mountains, uh, he, there was a time we went by an old, dilapidated house in the middle of nowhere, like on a ranch or a yeah. farm. And Riley's comment was, you know, that's sad. And we got talking that it, at one point, that was a new building and maybe a family. And they were saying, look what we've done. And the walls were big enough that they probably had to have people from other farms come over and be with them so yeah. that they could they could construct the house. And they would have been so proud and thought it was going to last forever. And here it was, vacant, abandoned, dilapidated. So you dig inside yourself. Yeah. Sometimes for explaining stories. Sometimes I'm sure Roddy would tell me he was waving at kids on a school bus at a crossing and wondered... What do they think? They probably want to be <laughs> yeah. on the train with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, what do you? What do your parents think of the book? Have they Have they read it? I I don't think my mom has, and my dad has read like kind of like drafts of it. He's in like had like an actual physical copy yeah. and gone through it. So I know my dad. He's mainly he's like he, he read all the parts like about me yeah. before the book launched. You know, obviously. So he's read those parts, but I don't think he's like actually sat down and read the entire book. So I think I'm the only person in that in the, in the family who has. And so, Rick, I'm sure you'll be doing book signings in the city and the sort. 
Yes, I'll be doing some signings. They're not set up yet. No. Uh, the book launch is just happening, but Riley has been um, practicing his signature because not every 10-year-old, let alone or 14-year-old, would have a signature yeah. other than a jot at the bottom of their stuff. And, and um, I noticed he just signed your copy. So you have did, one of yeah. about five copies signed by the two of us. And his morphs a little bit. Yeah, it is. It's every just, time I think every, it's a little every time, bit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was, I was, I can't remember when I, I thought about this. I was reading the book. Yeah. I was probably, well, I used to sign everything as a kid. Yeah. You know, you wanted to, to sign everything because you wanted to, it was yours, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was prob- probably yeah. 18, 18 when I, when I came up with it. And then, and then I changed it after a while because I couldn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically mine right now. Well, and and hopefully on some of the book signings, if you know, we, at, at chapters or yeah. mosaic in in Kelowna or or you know, thirty two books in the North Shore. If if we do do some signings at places like that, if Riley's in proximity, I would hope he would come there and yeah. be also part of presentations. Uh, we might contact Golden Spike Days in Port Moody because they do an annual fair event yeah. of, of sorts and maybe we take some books there and, yeah. and so it could could be neat but as much as I can do with him I would enjoy doing with him because we went on the trip I write early on that that a an early decision for any traveler is do they go alone or do they go with someone else and I just thought to be on one of the world's great trains the Rocky Mountaineer and it's just too good of an opportunity to share so that's when instigating Riley coming along and it has been tremendous because you know if you travel alone you get into different types of stories and and I because of certain travel ineptitudes end up in dodgy situations which makes for great narrative and with Riley there was all of a sudden a different responsibility but also between the two of us he was 10 my eyes and attitudes are seven times that age and so I learned a lot from Riley on travel, on the journeys on the Rocky Mountain here, for sure. You must be proud, Riley, to have this this book, and, yes. and you're able to turn to this years from now and look at this, right? Yeah, very, very proud that I could, you know, just have a grandfather with, you know, such cool, like, you know, being able to write, like, you know, books and stuff, have, like, amazing jobs in the past. Like, it's very, it's very cool to, you know, just, like, think of his previous achievements and what he has to come in the future. Yeah. And just being along, like, especially with, like, the book. Yeah. Thank you. It, it was very neat. What are, what are your summer plans, Riley? Summer plans. Uh, you got trips planned and things like that? No, actually not much because we, we, were, we were just in Europe, so yeah. that was like our big plans. And my parents are both in Southeast Asia right now. And so my dad's been gone. He uh, In total, he would have been gone for two months. And I haven't seen him in like it. It's been a while. So, yeah, so he'll be gone for two months. My mom is gone for like nearly a month as well. Uh-huh. So that's why he's here. Yeah. And um, so because of that, you know, obviously summer has not been our... Yeah. biggest concern right now so i guess like once they come back we'll start planning for that but yeah europe has kind of like been our main our main focus i guess and it, it was very cool you know reading the book like because like that was the first time i was on a train since this book yeah. and being able to read the book that's when i was reading the book over like our time in europe and just being on a train reading the book and like being on a plane going like we were talking about like england and stuff in some of the book you're writing about it and then being in England and reading about yeah. it was just like really it was really neat and fascinating I'm, I'm going to ask a question that, that, I, that adults always ask kids and, and they're not and I used to hate it as a kid but have you thought about what you want to do when you grow up no I, I haven't yet I, I just 
it, it's like I'm in grade nine right now, so yeah. I still got you know three years left of high school, and they bring it up a lot. They do yeah. ask that a lot, and I don't have any like specific jobs that I want to be like I want to work for, but yeah. I definitely do want to do something technically in like the, the like the technology yeah. in, industry and stuff because it seems like that's like a big market for the future, and everybody is kind of. Uh, moving towards this more technical technological um, era, so. Do you think you'll ever yeah. write a book yourself? I don't know. That, that that is an interesting question. Yeah, I I know my dad and my uncle. So both of his kids yeah. have been have written some stuff. So I don't know if I will do that, but I, I, I would hope for. Like I would hope to do that. I think it'd be a cool opportunity to write a book, but I don't think I could. I, I, I don't. I don't know. Right now, I don't see myself doing it, but maybe in the future. I, I consider this, and I'm sure Rick will agree, that this is as much his book as it is yours, isn't it? Yes, and in fact, there are times when we're talking with someone else and Riley talks about it as our book. Yeah. So he has been a really significant influence in the writing of it. And even though I talk about lots about explorers or seafaring expeditions and, and, and the history and politics and other people and trains from around the world. I mean, the, 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 the book Train Beyond the Mountains is about, you know, journeys on the Rocky Mountaineer, but we met so many people that talked about travels on the GAN in Australia or, oh, yeah. or the, right, the, 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 the Bergen train in Norway. So lots of that or the Age of Steam, all of that's written about. Yeah. But, but it's, there's no question the single biggest influence on the narrative has been has been Riley and and Riley maybe I shouldn't say it but but uh, you know he also has a a really good disposition for uh, working on short film uh-huh. ideas for creating the story and script ideas for doing things that can enhance games I mean he he's got a lot of technological ability that when I've kind of looked over his shoulder. I realize I'm looking at somebody who has the creativity and adeptness to do things that would stand him well if he decides to storytell through any of those mediums, for sure. It may not be in a book, but but he is, by nature, if you're hanging around with him, he doesn't drink beer, but if you're in a pub with him and his dad, and he's often the best storyteller at the table. (laughs) Um, Rick, you've... um been nearly everywhere in the world and and you've you've lived in different places too but you seem to come back to british columbia more often than not there's a moment in the book where you you go to a bookshop and you you talk about going to a bookshop and then you find pauline johnson's legends of vancouver and uh, as i was reading that i didn't think that it was just a book to you Uh, i didn't think it was just stories it, it really means something to you to be from this part of the world right it, it, it's home. Yeah, I, I was born in Vancouver, grew up in Burnaby, now live in the Okanagan, and uh, two sons, Sean with with family, and Riley in Port Moody, and and Brent uh, with his partner in in uh, Delta. So this it, this part, but I've had the good fortune because of tourism jobs to see so much of British Columbia and, and Alberta, mm-hmm. and it is a blessing to come from this part. I mean, Vancouver is a great city. But one of the things that attracts people from all over the world is that we've got the world's best backyard, and that's called British Columbia and yeah. Alberta. Yeah. When I found the Pauline Johnson book, it was when Janice and I got off the Napa Valley train mm. in California, and there it was in a special leather-bound, a, a, not a, 
edition. It was a one-off handcrafted cover and it, it spoke of home. So I, I got it right away. And, and you know, you, you, the more places you go, I think the more you become thankful for not just the pillow at home that is, is comforting, but then it's, it's about getting back because home becomes where you can reflect on your journeys. And, and I do write about unfinished journeys that, that you've always got. And train travel is an ongoing moment, and, and when you're off the train, it, it still continues because you're reflecting on things. You might stay in touch with people you've mm-hmm. met. And so it's, um, it's extraordinary. But to, to feel tethered to, to British Columbia, um, it's, it's the envy of every traveler I've ever met. Oh, you come from Canada. You're from oh, there. you're from British Columbia. Yeah. yeah, oh, you're from there. Well said. And, uh, I mean, we would get that a lot, wouldn't we, from people you're just lucky yeah. to live here? Is there a place that you want to go to still, Riley? Um, if you, if you had, we, we gave you a week to go yeah. somewhere, where would you go? A month ago, I would have said London. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, I, I want to go to North Korea because I find that country super fascinating. He's been, my dad's been, yeah. my uncle's been. Yeah. And hearing the stories of that place and just the uh, just how it's so, I find it so fascinating. Yeah. Like how like it's just it's so it's like a time capsule of time. And there's no, like, if you're in there, you can't get out kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, I, I think it's so cool and neat. But um, I want to go there. I want to see what it's truly like, like, what felt like, like, uh, the media, definitely, like, you know, yeah. it, it must twist off and stuff. Like, I want to actually go there and experience it for yeah. what it truly is. Because I've heard it's a beautiful country. I've heard, you know, like, yes, there are stuff going on that yeah. I, I don't support. But um, it, I, I want to go and I want to see what it's truly like and... Yeah, I think it would be odd to see old cars and old things yeah, that you know <laughs> from a different era. Yeah, you know, it is, and like their main street, like there's people can't really afford cars and stuff, so like you can just walk on it and stuff. Yeah, and there's like videos of just people like walking on the main street. You know, it's like eight lanes or something like that. And you can just walk down it, and it's just so it's it's a neat country. Yeah. So. Rick uh, Riley, it's uh, been a pleasure to, to to talk to you about this book. Rick, it's nice to see you again. Congratulations you. and and continue good luck with it. Thanks for coming in, Riley. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. The book is called Train Beyond the Mountains Journey Journeys on the Rocky Mountaineer. It's published by Greystone. Uh, its author Rick Attenson joined me in person here in Vancouver with uh, Riley Attenson. I'm Joseph Planta.